Section 13 of Famous Adventures and Prison Escapes of the Civil War by Various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 13 A Hard Road to Travel Out of Dixie by W. H. Shelton. Part 1. It was past noon of the first day of the bloody contest in the wilderness the guns of the fifth corps led by battery d of the first new york artillery were halted along the orange turnpike by which we had made the fruitless campaign to mine run the continuous roar of musketry in front and to the left indicated that the infantry was desperately engaged while the great guns filling every wooded road leading up to the battlefield were silent our drivers were lounging about the horses while the cannoneers lay on the green grass by the roadside or walked by the pieces down the line came an order for the centre section under my command to advance and pass the right section which lay in front of us general warren surrounded by his staff sat on a gray horse at the right of the road where the woods bordered an open field dipping between two wooded ridges the position we were leaving was admirable while the one to which we were ordered on the opposite side of the narrow field was wholly impractical the captain had received his orders in person from general warren and joined my command as we passed we dashed down the road at a trot the cannoneers running beside their pieces at the centre of the field we crossed by a wooden bridge over a deep dry ditch and came rapidly into position at the side of the turnpike and facing the thicket as the cannoneers were not at all up the captain and i dismounted and lent a hand in swinging round the heavy trails the air was full of minnie balls some whistling by like mad hornets and others partly spent humming like big nails one of the latter struck my knee with force enough to wound the bone without penetrating the grained leather bootleg in front of us the ground rose into the timber where our infantry was engaged it was madness to continue firing here for my shot must first plough through our own lines before reaching the enemy so after one discharge the captain ordered the limbers to the rear and the section started back at a gallop my horse was cut in the flanks and his plunging with my disabled knee delayed me in mounting and prevented my seeing why the carriages kept to the grass instead of getting upon the roadway when i overtook the guns they had come to a forced halt at the dry ditch now full of skulkers an angle of which cut the way to the bridge brief as the interval had been not a man of my command was in sight the lead horse of the gun team at my side had been shot and was reeling in the harness slipping to the ground i untoggled one trace at the collar to release him and had placed my hand on the other when i heard the demand surrender and turning found in my face two big pistols in the hands of an alabama colonel give me that sword said he i pressed the clasp and let it fall to the ground where it remained the colonel had taken me by the right arm and as we turned toward the road i took in the whole situation at a glance 
my chestnut horse and the captain's bald-faced brown were dashing frantically against the long swaying gun teams by the bridge stood a company of the sixty-first alabama infantry in butternut suits and slouch hats shooting straggling and wounded zouaves from a pennsylvania brigade as they appeared in groups of two or three on the road in front the colonel as he handed me over to his men ordered his troops to take what prisoners they could and to cease firing the guns which we were forced to abandon were a bone of contention until they were secured by the enemy on the third day at which time but one of the twenty-four team horses was living with a few other prisoners i was led by a short detour through the woods in ten minutes we had turned the flank of both armies and reached the same turnpike in the rear of our enemy a line of ambulances was moving back on the road all filled with wounded and when we saw a vacant seat beside a driver i was hoisted up to the place the boy driver was in a high state of excitement he said that two shells had come flying down this same road and showed where the trace of the near mule had been cut by a piece of shell for which i was directly responsible the field hospital of general jubal early's corps was near locust grove tavern where the wounded yankees were in charge of surgeon donnelly of the pennsylvania reserves no guard was established as no one was supposed to be in condition to run away at the end of a week however my leg had greatly improved although i was still unable to use it in our party was another lieutenant an aide on the staff of general james c rice whose horse had been shot under him while riding at full speed with dispatches lieutenant hadley had returned to consciousness to find himself a prisoner in hospital somewhat bruised and robbed of his valuables but not otherwise disabled we two concluded to start for washington by way of kelly's ford i traded my penknife for a haversack of cornbread with one of the confederate nurses and a wounded officer colonel miller of a new york regiment gave us a pocket compass i provided myself with a stout pole which i used with both hands in lieu of my left foot at nine p m we set out passing during the night the narrow field and dry ditch where i had left my guns only a pile of dead horses marked the spot on a grassy bank we captured a firefly and shut him in between the glass and the face of our pocket compass with such a guide we shaped our course for the rapidan after travelling nearly all night we lay down exhausted upon a bluff within sound of the river and slept until sunrise hastening to our feet again we hurried down to the ford just before reaching the river we heard shouts behind us and saw a man beckoning and running after us believing the man an enemy we dashed into the shallow water and after crossing safely hobbled away up the other side as fast as a man with one leg and a pole could travel i afterward met this man himself a prisoner at macon georgia he was the officer of our pickets and would have conducted us into our lines if we had permitted him to come up with us as it was we found a snug hiding-place in a thicket of swamp growth where we lay in concealment all day after struggling on a few miles in a chilling rain my leg became so painful that it was impossible to go farther a house was near by and we threw ourselves on the mercy of the family 
good mrs brandon had harboured the pickets of both armies again and again and had luxuriated in real coffee and tea and priceless salt at the hands of our officers she bore the yankees only good will and after dressing my wound we sat down to breakfast with herself and daughters after breakfast we were conducted to the second half-story which was one unfinished room there was a bed in one corner where we were to sleep beyond the stairs was a pile of yellow ears of corn and from the rafters and sills hung a variety of dried herbs and medicinal roots here our meals were served and the girls brought us books and read aloud to pass away the long days i was confined to the bed and my companion never ventured below stairs except on one dark night when at my earnest entreaty he set out for kelly's ford but soon returned unable to make his way in the darkness one day we heard the door open at the foot of the stairs a tread of heavy boots on the steps and a clank clank that sounded very much like a sabre out of the floor rose a grey slouch hat with the yellow cord and tassel of a cavalryman and in another moment there stood on the landing one of the most astonished troopers that ever was seen coot brandon was one of jeb stuart's rangers and came every day for corn for his horse heretofore the corn had been brought down for him and he was as ignorant of our presence as we were of his existence on this day no pretext could keep him from coming up to help himself his mother worked on his sympathies and he departed promising her that he would leave us undisturbed but the very next morning he turned up again this time accompanied by another ranger of sterner mould a parole was exacted from my able-bodied companion and we were left for another twenty-four hours when i was considered in condition to be moved mrs brandon gave us each a new blue overcoat from a plentiful store of uncle sam's clothing she had on hand and i opened my heart and gave her my last twenty-dollar greenback and wished i had it back again every day for the next ten months i was mounted on a horse and with lieutenant hadley on foot we were marched under guard all day until we arrived at a field hospital established in the rear of longstreet's corps my companion being sent on to some prison for officers thence i was forwarded with a trainload of wounded to lynchburg on which general hunter was then marching and we had good reason to hope for a speedy deliverance on more than one day we heard his guns to the north where there was no force but a few citizens with bird guns to oppose the entrance of his command the slaves were employed on a line of breastworks which there was no adequate force to hold it was our opinion that one well-disciplined regiment could have captured and held the town it was several days before a portion of general breckinridge's command arrived for the defence of lynchburg i had clung to my clean bed in the hospital just as long as my rapidly healing wound would permit but was soon transferred to a prison where at night the sleepers yankees confederate deserters and negroes were so crowded upon the floor that some lay under the feet of the guards in the doorways the atmosphere was dreadful i fell ill and for three days lay with my head in the fireplace more dead than alive 
a few days thereafter about three hundred prisoners were crowded into cattle cars bound for andersonville we must have been a week on this railroad journey when an irish lieutenant of a rochester regiment and i who had been allowed to ride in the baggage car were taken from the train at macon georgia where about sixteen hundred union officers were confined at the fairgrounds general alexander shaler of sedgwick's corps also captured at the wilderness was the ranking officer and to him was accorded a sort of interior command of the camp before passing through the gate we expected to see a crowd bearing some outward semblance of respectability instead we were instantly surrounded by several hundred ragged barefooted frowsy-headed men shouting fresh fish at the top of their voices and eagerly asking for news with rare exceptions all were shabbily dressed there was however a little knot of naval officers who had been captured in the windings of the narrow rappahannock by a force of cavalry and who were the aristocrats of the camp they were housed in a substantial fair building in the centre of the grounds and by some special terms of surrender must have brought their complete wardrobes along on hot days they appeared in spotless white duck which they were permitted to send outside to be laundered their mess was abundantly supplied with the fruits and vegetables of the season the ripe red tomatoes they were daily seen to peel were the envy of the camp i well remembered that to me at this time a favorite occupation was to lie on my back with closed eyes and imagine the dinner i would order if i were in a first-class hotel it was no unusual thing to see a dignified colonel washing his lower clothes in a pail clad only in his uniform dress coat ladies sometimes appeared on the guard walk outside the top of the stockade on which occasions the cleanest and best dressed men turned out to see and be seen i was quite proud to appear in a clean gray shirt spotless white drawers and moccasins made of blue overcoat cloth on the fourth of july after the regular morning count we repaired to the big central building and held an informal celebration one officer had brought into captivity concealed on his person a little silk national flag which was carried up into the cross-beams of the building and the sight of it created the wildest enthusiasm we cheered the flag and applauded the patriotic speeches until a detachment of the guard succeeded in putting a stop to our proceedings they tried to capture the flag but in this they were not successful we were informed that cannon were planted commanding the camp and would be opened on us if we renewed our demonstration soon after this episode the fall of atlanta and the subsequent movements of general sherman led to the breaking up of the camp at macon and to the transfer of half of us to a camp at charleston and half to savannah late in september by another transfer we found ourselves together again at columbia we had no form of shelter and there was no stockade around the camp only a guard and a deadline during two hours of each morning an extra line of guards was stationed around an adjoining piece of pine woods into which we were allowed to go and cut wood and timber to construct for ourselves huts for the approaching winter our ration at this time consisted of raw cornmeal and sorghum molasses without salt or any provision of utensils for cooking the camp took its name from our principal article of diet 
and was by common consent known as Camp Saugum. A stream of clear water was accessible during the day by an extension of the guards, but at night the lines were so contracted as to leave the path leading to the water outside the guard. Lieutenant S. H. M. Byers, who had already written the well-known lyric Sherman's March to the Sea, was sharing my tent, which consisted of a ragged blanket. We had been in the new camp but little more than a week when we determined to make an attempt at escape. Preparatory to starting, we concealed two tin cups and two blankets in the pine woods to which we had access during the chopping hours, and here was to be our rendezvous in case we were separated in getting out. Covering my shoulders with an old gray blanket and providing myself with a stick about the size of a gun from the woodpile, I tried to smuggle myself into the relief guard when the line was contracted at six o'clock unfortunately an unexpected halt was called and the soldier in front turned and discovered me i was now more than ever determined on getting away after a hurried conference with lieutenant byers at which i promised to wait at our rendezvous in the woods until i heard the posting of the ten o'clock relief i proceeded alone up the side of the camp to a point where a group of low cedars grew close to the deadline concealing myself in their dark shadows i could observe at my leisure the movements of the sentinels a full moon was just rising above the horizon to my left and in the soft misty light the guards were plainly visible for a long distance either way an open field from which the small growth had been recently cut away lay beyond and between the camp and the guard line ran a broad road of soft sand noiseless to cross but so white in the moonlight that a leaf blown across it by the wind could scarcely escape a vigilant eye the guards were bundled in their overcoats and i soon observed that the two who met opposite to my place of concealment turned and walked their short beats without looking back waiting until they separated again and regardless of the fact that i might with equal likelihood be seen by a dozen sentinels in either direction i ran quickly across the soft sand road several yards into the open field and threw myself down upon the uneven ground first i dragged my body on my elbows for a few yards then i crept on my knees and so gradually gained in distance until i could rise to a standing position and get safely to the shelter of the trees with some difficulty i found the cups and blankets we had concealed and lay down to await the arrival of my companion soon i heard several shots which i understood too well and as i afterward learned two officers were shot dead for attempting the feat i had accomplished and perhaps in emulation of my success a third young officer whom i knew was also killed in camp by one of the shots fired at the others at ten o'clock i set out alone and made my way across the fields to the bank of the saluda where a covered bridge crossed to columbia hiding when it was light wandering through fields and swamps by night and venturing at last to seek food of negroes i proceeded for thirteen days toward the sea in general i had followed the columbia turnpike at a quaint little chapel on the shore of goose creek but a few miles out of charleston i turned to the north and bent my course for the coast above the city 
about this time i learned that i should find no boats along the shore between charleston and the mouth of the santee everything able to float having been destroyed to prevent the escape of the negroes and the desertion of the soldiers i was ferried over the broad river by a crusty old darkey who came paddling across in response to my cries of over and who seemed so put out because i had no fare for him that i gave him my case knife the next evening i had the only taste of meat of this thirteen days journey which i got from an old negro whom i found alone in his cabin eating possum and rice i had never seen the open sea coast beaten by the surf and after being satisfied that i had no hope of escape in that direction it was in part my curiosity that led me on and partly a vague idea that i would get confederate transportation back to columbia and take a fresh start westward bound the tide was out and in a little cove i found an abundance of oysters bedded in the mud some of which i cracked with stones and ate after satisfying my hunger and finding the sea rather unexpectedly tame inside the line of islands which marked the eastern horizon i bent my steps toward a fire where i found a detachment of confederate coast guards to whom i offered myself as a guest as coolly as if my whole toilsome journey had been prosecuted to that end in the morning i was marched a few miles to mount pleasant near fort moultrie and taken thence in a sailboat across the harbor to charleston at night i found myself again in the city jail where with a large party of officers i had spent most of the month of august my cellmate was lieutenant h g dorr of the fourth massachusetts cavalry with whom i journeyed by rail back to columbia arriving at camp Salgram about the first of november i rejoined the mess of lieutenant byers and introduced to the others lieutenant dorr whose cool assurance was a prize that procured us all the blessings possible he could borrow frying-pans from the guards money from his brother masons at headquarters and i believe if we had asked him to secure us a gun he would have charmed it out of the hand of a sentinel on duty lieutenant edward e sill of general daniel butterfield's staff whom i had met at macon during my absence had come to saugram from a fruitless trip to macon for exchange and i had promised to join him in an attempt to escape when he could secure a pair of shoes on november twenty nine our mess had felled a big pine tree and had rolled into camp a short section of the trunk which a tennessee officer was to split into shingles to complete our hut a pretty good cabin with an earthen fireplace while we were resting from our exertion sill appeared with his friend lieutenant a t lamson of the hundred and fourth new york infantry and reminded me of my promise the prisoners always respected their parole on wood-chopping expeditions and went out and came in at the main entrance the guards were a particularly verdant body of back-country militia and the confusion of the parole system enabled us to practice ruses in our present difficulty we resorted to a new expedient and forged a parole the next day all three of us were quietly walking down the guard line on the outside at the creek where all the camp came for water we found dorr and byers and west and called to one of them in the presence of the guard asked for blankets to bring in spruce boughs for beds 
when the blankets came they contained certain haversacks cups and little indispensable articles for the road falling back into the woods we secured a safe hiding place until after dark just beyond the village of lexington we successfully evaded the first picket being warned of its presence by the smouldering embers in the road a few nights after this having exposed ourselves and anticipating pursuit we pushed on until we came to a stream crossing the road up this we waded for some distance and secured a hiding place on a neighboring hill in the morning we looked out upon mounted men and dogs at the very point where we had entered the stream searching for our lost trail we spent two days during a severe storm of rain and sleet in a farm barn where the slaves were so drunk on applejack that they had forgotten us and left us with nothing to eat but raw turnips one night in our search for provisions we met a party of negroes burning charcoal who took us to their camp and sent out for a supply of food while waiting a venerable uncle proposed to hold a prayer meeting so under the tall trees and by the light of the smouldering coal pits the old man prayed long and fervently to the blessed lord and massa lincoln and hearty amens echoed through the woods besides a few small potatoes one dried goat ham was all our zealous friends could procure the next day having made our camp in the secure depths of a dry swamp we lighted the only fire we allowed ourselves between columbia and the mountains the ham which was almost as light as cork was riddled with worm holes and as hard as a petrified sponge we avoided the towns and after an endless variety of adventures approached the mountains cold hungry ragged and footsore on the night of december thirteenth we were grouped about a guide-post at a fork in the road earnestly contending as to which way we should proceed lieutenant sill was for the right i was for the left and no amount of persuasion could induce lieutenant lamson to decide the controversy i yielded and we turned to the right after walking a mile in a state of general uncertainty we came to a low white farmhouse standing very near the road it was now close upon midnight and the windows were all dark but from a house of logs partly behind the other gleamed a bright light judging this to be servants quarters two of us remained back while lieutenant sill made a cautious approach in due time a negro appeared advancing stealthily and beckoning to my companion and me conducted us in the shadow of a hedge to a side window through which we clambered into the cabin we were made very comfortable in the glow of a bright wood fire sweet potatoes were already roasting in the ashes and a tin pot of barley coffee was steaming on the coals rain and sleet had begun to fall and it was decided that after having been warmed and refreshed we should be concealed in the barn until the following night accordingly we were conducted thither and put to bed upon a pile of corn shucks high up under the roof secure as this retreat seemed it was deemed advisable in the morning to burrow several feet down in the mow so that the children if by any chance they should climb so high might romp unsuspecting over our heads we could still look out through the cracks in the siding and get sufficient light whereby to study a map of the southern states which had been brought us with our breakfast 
a luxurious repast was in preparation to be eaten at the quarters before starting but a frolic being in progress and a certain negro present of questionable fidelity the banquet was transferred to the barn the great barn doors were set open and the cloth was spread on the floor by the light of the moon certainly we had partaken of no such substantial fare within the confederacy the central dish was a pork pie flanked by savory little patties of sausage there were sweet potatoes fleecy biscuits a jug of sorghum and a pitcher of sweet milk most delicious of all was a variety of cornbread having tiny bits of fresh pork baked in it like plums in a pudding footnote major sill contributes the following evidence of the impression our trio made upon one at least of the piccaninnies who looked on in the moonlight the picture of lieutenant sill and lamson which appears on page two fifty five was enlarged from a small photograph taken on their arrival at chattanooga before divesting themselves of the rags worn throughout the long journey years afterward major sill gave one of these pictures to wallace bruce of florida at one time united states consul at glasgow in the winter of eighteen eighty eight eighty nine mr bruce at his florida home was showing the photograph to his family when it caught the eye of a colored servant who exclaimed oh massa bruce i know this gentleman my father and mother hid him in massa's barn at pickensville and fed him there were three of em i saw em this servant was a child barely ten years old in eighteen sixty four and could have seen us only through the barn door while we were eating our supper in the uncertain moonlight yet more than twenty years thereafter he greeted the photograph of the ragged yankee officers with a flash of recognition End footnote. End of section thirteen